May I introduce our new first officer, Commander William Riker. Commander Riker, this is our ship's counselor, Deanna Troy. Do you remember what I taught you, Imzadi? Can you still sense my thoughts? A pleasure, Commander. Likewise, Counselor. Have the two of you met before? We have, sir. Excellent. I consider it important for my key officers to know each other's abilities. We do, sir. We do. I too could never say goodbye, Imzadi. Welcome to Deep Space Pride, a gay Star Trek podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Johnson, and with me is my co-host, Mike Thorlow. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm good, Johnson. How are you today? I'm doing okay. It is Sunday. The weekend is is almost over. It's kind of sad and depressing, but here we are. Yeah, but uh, we had some Sunday fun day kind of stuff going on. Did you? I I mean, you, you did. You went out to brunch with Dennis. Oh and yeah, dim sum. That's right. We went with to your dim boyfriend. Sum. Yes. Yeah. We were in Chinatown. It was so far. I was so tired afterwards. Yes. And I traveled to the Bronx to meet up with my friend David. Oh, I didn't realize you went to the Bronx for brunch. That's really fun. Yes. That's like a journey. That it's was like, a journey. Like yeah. upstate. Uh not exactly upstate, no, but anything yes. past 96 is upstate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, so. do you want to introduce our special guest for this? Well, yeah. Episode? So for those of you that were with us the last episode, we had mentioned that this episode would be a bit special because it is our 25th episode, which is a big deal. Technically, it's actually our 35th episode or so, but you know, this is actually the 25th episode that we've published. Published, so yes. It's fine. But we want to make it special. And to do that, we wanted to invite one of our friends to the podcast. So today we have a special guest. Nancy, Nancy, say hello. Hi, it's my first time on a podcast. Exciting. So everyone's probably like, who is this rando? Who is Nancy? So just to give a quick introduction, Nancy is a friend of mine from college. She's one of my closest friends. We've been friends for about 20 years. We first met in Chinese class in freshman year. It was very random. Um, And we became friends pretty quickly after that. I mean, we had a few... You know, quizzes together and a few like in in language class for those of you who have probably take language classes you probably you know, pair up people and you do like a little skit you try to practice your in this case chinese uh nancy had a few of those and after that we became friends pretty quickly um and just through the years um i would say that nancy and i have grown in our friendship over time nancy is also um, she's not part of the LGBTQ community, but she is a strong proponent and ally. Most of her male friends are just, just happen to be gay. 
Uh, and that's not even on purpose. It just so happens that way. And um, he met, she met Mike. It's been, I guess, yeah, well, two years ago, a year and a half ago. I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah um, I think and uh, also, your birthday, your birthday party. Oh, was it my birthday so. party that Nancy yeah. met you? Okay. Um, well, because I don't know if it's because Mike's gay or what, but, you know, they became friends pretty quickly too. So there we are. Um, Nancy also has a special place in our hearts when it comes to this podcast because Nancy also helped us to coin the name of our show, Deep Space Pride. So Nancy, do you want to talk a little bit about how that went, how that experience was, how you came up with the name of our podcast? Sure, happy to do it. Um, So for a time, I was a naming strategist at a branding firm. And so I picked up all of these skills in like, how to create a PowerPoint <laughs> and um, et cetera. Well, I mean, the creative- I love PowerPoint, continue. Yes, well, the creative part of it was um, actually learning how to, I guess, funnel my creative energies into coming up with names for products and companies and services. And so this was a really fun little side project for me. Um, yeah, we had like a briefing call. You asked us what we were looking for. You were yeah. like, what's your objective? What are your KPIs or whatever? <laughs> um, and then you put together this whole presentation for us, which I really enjoyed. It was great. It was so fun. Um, so just a, a grand overview of um, what inspired me um, in coming up with the names or name candidates, if you will. Um, I took a look at gay dating apps, then just general Star Trek podcast names, um, and then um, sort of gay interest podcasts, podcast names rather. And so those were the three things that I lumped into this Venn diagram. And in the middle of that was our sweet spot, what we were looking for, right? Something that it intersectionalized sort of the gay experience mm-hmm. drew in a little bit of like the I remember fun. the Venn diagram yeah yes. <laughs> I'm just trying to you know I'm a very visual thinker so when mm-hmm. I explain things to other people I try to do it in a very visual way no it was them. helpful I liked it I, I recall and you even like um yeah because you when you did research on other gay podcasts and also Star Trek podcasts I remember you kind of extracting Um, some initial thoughts about those, what stood out to you and how those elements you would potentially influence the name of our podcast. It was, I remember it um, very, very distinctly. Well, I'm I'm glad you uh, enjoyed the work. Um, Yeah, no, it was great. The work as well. Um, And so, yeah, what we basically came to, and it's it's obviously an open discussion and this is your podcast. So it really had to, have uh, a branding and an identity that was true to what you were trying to accomplish and what you were trying mm-hmm. to communicate. And um, I think you, you, you know, chose a great name and it's, it's, it's got a nice ring to it. It ties to the franchise. Mm-hmm. It's, um, uh, you know, obviously it has pride in there and um, I'm really happy with what you guys came up with or decided on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
I mean, it was, and no, it was in, in part of all the work you did. I mean, that was so helpful because we really didn't have an idea. We, ha- I mean, I had one idea to start out with, but it wasn't. Um, what was your, just... are you allowed to like talk about? I, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. Well, so the background, I mean, the background of the podcast was that, you know, Johnson and I met through Dennis and we would chat about Star Trek Picard, which came out over a year ago now. And so we, we just got into this every time we like, have you watched it? Have you watched it? And so I had been thinking about doing a podcast for a while on just leadership stuff or whatever, my own podcast. But then I, you know, I realized that one, I needed a hobby. And I think this is a great hobby. I call this my hobby podcast. It was also the star of pandemic. So we're all looking for things to do with our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. But I had the idea before the pandemic. So Mm. once we start, you know, I mean, I, we started recording in March a a year ago, really, but uh, we had talked about it in February. So, or even towards, you know, in January. So it was sort of a little bit before we went into quarantine, but um, you know, the original idea, the idea that I came up with was the Picardians, kind of like the Kardashians, um, because we were forming a friendship over primarily at the time Picard, but also we were both next generation uh, kids who grew up watching it. And so that was kind of our foundation of, uh, of it. And then so we like all of the early recordings say welcome to the Picardians or whatever. So, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, when we, when we wanted to go live with this, it, you know, Johnson brought up bringing you into the mix to help us kind of ideate on ideas. Cause he wasn't in love with the Picardians. And, and I mean, it wasn't either. It was just kind of an early idea just to give it a name, name the thing and, and then start the thing. So um, yeah, I mean, the, the whole presentation you did was amazing and so helpful and um, so insightful to bring in those three worlds, right? Dating, which we talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I'm in a relationship. Johnson is out trying to be out there, but not really out yeah, there. And no movement. And no movement. And we talk about Star Trek, obviously, but we also bring a gay perspective right. To, right, right. to it. So. Well, fun fact, I knew Johnson before he came out of the closet. Mm-hmm. And um, at one point, he moved into my apartment for a little over a year and used one of my closets. So we have that connection going. <laughs> okay, so so you made it sound like those happened like at the same time. So yeah, so I came out way before I moved in with you for a year. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I, I actually don't Time know. It's a construct. Okay. I'm, I'm not quite sure what you're go- going for, but I think uh, I get it. I mean, that's a good, you know, that, yeah. that, I did touches on, that touches on the highlights of, you know, some of your relationship over the last 20 years. Yes. yes. I folded some time. Yeah. You like a lot yes, of time. Yes. <laughs> Everything sounds like it happened at the same time, but yes. Um, but Nancy, you know, like, yeah, I, I thought that, like Mike is saying, um, you know, I thought that that was an amazing presentation. But I would also love for our listeners to hear a little bit about your experience at Star Trek, how you first was exposed to it. You know, I, you know, for our listeners um, that may be curious, Nancy is not um, as big an aficionado of Star Trek as Mike and I are. She's had 
I would say that you had intermittent exposure over the years. You're, you know, you were exposed to TNG in the early years, but you know, you you didn't, I think, follow t- the Deep, Deep Space Nine or Voyager or anything like that, or then you know, maybe here and there. But why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background when it comes to Star Trek? If there's anything about the franchise that's particularly appealing to you, anything along those lines? Sure. Um... I'm sad to report that I am not a huge Trekkie. I don't know all of the trivia, but as a kid of the 80s and 90s, well, I mean, the next generation came out in the 90s. Um, late 80s. Late 80s. Yeah, but it was like on syndication repeat throughout the entire, all of the 90s, so yeah. yeah. I would say it was formative um, mm-hmm. to my development into an, an adult, I think that it is phenomenal television, I think, for its time, at least. I'm speaking specifically to the next generation because I didn't actually watch any of the other uh, shows. Um, I'm going to get around to watching Voyager and Deep Space There's only like 800 something episodes of Star Trek for you to catch up on. It's gonna happen. One day. but I will be, um, I will say specifically regarding the next generation, you know, seeing this idealized utopic future where there's no scarcity and there's complete abundance, you know, Johnson and I talk about this all the time. It's like Star Trek is basically communism that works, right? It's, there's a replicator, there's no hunger, there's no need, there's no, um, there is war between some alien groups and whatnot, but it's a different kind of war, you know, than what we face here on earth, um, in some ways, at least, um, but in a lot of other, like, you know, very fundamental needs, there isn't really a lack. And in that sense, um, Star Trek portrays this very idealized um, society and world. And that's something that I've always really appreciated um, about it. And it's just that potential for mm-hmm. this kind of utopia where mostly people live in peace and there is no lack and there is, um, you know, there's harmony and there's the, there's this beauty in that. Mm-hmm. And there's this diversity and not only diversity, how we understand diversity in terms of race and ethnicity, um, there's, you know, alien worlds and um, Klingons can get along with maybe not Romulans uh, or Ferengis, but like, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> et cetera. So, um even even with that, you know, there is very much a lot of diversity portrayed um, on the ship and in the universe of Star Trek. Um, and so there would be Asian American women and there would be, um, you know, African American women. And so in the characters of Guinan and um, there's really like strong women, female characters um, who were diverse and um, there was diversity across the, you know, throughout the ship. Um, And that's something that I 
I really appreciated, uh, even as an adult looking back now, having that kind of entertainment mm-hmm. um, available to me. You know, as this young kid, I'm a first generation Chinese American woman, and growing up in in America, um, and seeing that diversity played out in this utopic setting um, was very much, I don't know, echoed to me like the reality that I hope for in America. And um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. Yeah. And, um, you know, Nancy, I don't know if you listened to our, our first episode because, you know, Mike and I basically did an intro and we talked a little bit about our experience at Star Trek and what drew, what has drawn us to the franchise. And in a similar way, obviously our experiences are, are a little bit different. Our angle, um, I think is similar though, in the sense that for us, and Mike, I don't wanna speak for you so you can chime in. And I don't wanna like just repeat what we said in our first episode, but I think this idealized future where people are able to experience, live out and celebrate their differences, whether it be um, their ethnic differences, differences in beliefs, differences in their species, you know, obviously start your taste on our level, but the analogy is there that there is this future where people can not live in the shadows and allow their differences to add to a greater whole. Uh, and for us, particularly when it comes to being part of the LGBTQ community, um, I think that that was somewhat appealing, even in a formative years, you know, even before either Mike or I even came out or even realized we were gay and things like that, um, things like that really resonated. But Mike, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think it's, um, you know, it did give you a picture of what the world should be like. And so that really resonated with me, Nancy, when you said that, like, uh, especially since you're a, you're a first generation um, American, Chinese American, uh, you know, that that definitely that idealized world of, uh, you know, that, that you kind of hoped America would be and that we still have the, I believe we still have the potential to be. We may not be living up to our potential right now, but uh, I think that that's certainly one of the reasons why I love Star Trek is the the idea that mm-hmm. everyone can be themselves and that's okay. You know, that's accepted. It's, it's actually not just okay. It's accepted and, and embraced and, you know, your gifts and your talents are utilized in a way that is, um, that is best for you and, and best for the society. So I, I think that that's definitely, and, and you see a painting, you see a picture of a world of how it should be. You know, I, I think for me, you know, the next gen was definitely what I grew up on, but I also, but I started my Star Trek love with the original series. So, you know, seeing a diverse cast like that, I mean, you know, the, the entire world was encompassed on the bridge of the enterprise in, uh, in the original series. So you know, that's definitely uh, what I, the image I grew up in is that people, you know, I didn't grow up hating Russians because, you know, Chekhov was a Russian and, you know, and, and Sulu was an Asian and, um, you know, her was representing the African culture and all of that put together made a picture for, um, 
for the world as it should be. And so it was always that utopian, you know, I, I think one of the, you know, the things that it does lack, and certainly you see it a little bit, you see snippets of it is this conflict and interpersonal conflict is definitely part of the world, no matter what, even in a utopia. So um, a deep space nine goes a little bit deeper with that uh, interpersonal conflict, which I think is good. And I think every, every series that's come out has expanded the franchise in a different and new way. So, you know, that's definitely why I, you know, I, I love every iteration of it for what it brings to the table. I may not love every part of it, but I certainly. Like what, Neelix? Yeah, like Neelix is not my favorite. <laughs> Neelix is so underrated. Anyway, um, yeah, you know, you know, we all have our favorite favorite shows and you know that mm-hmm. you know we don't all you know i'm I, i'm re-watching voyager like johnson is again and yes um you know we're you know i'm not the biggest fan but they're of the of the show i mean maybe it was just during the time of my life when i when it was on it was just a different time for me but the late 90s yeah so yeah it was so, so long ago uh but you know uh but any, any star trek they work towards showing how people can work together, can live together, can succeed together. And I think that that's really what Star Trek is all about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing, Nancy. Um, yeah, I think that we all have our different experiences when it comes to Star Trek. Um, but I think that the great thing is it is one of those things that does allow us to kind of inspire uh, for something greater and better. And I think at the end of the day, that's what Star Trek is all about. And like Mike's saying, you know, we all take something different away from it. We all have different things that we gravitate to. And I think that's a great thing about Star Trek that, you know, it has something for everyone. Anyway, awesome. Uh, so as part of this episode, um, we want to continue our celebration of Women's History Month because it is March. And coincidentally, Nancy is a woman, so that helps. Um, and our last episode was talking about some of our favorite characters, well, Mike and I rather talked about some of our standout characters from The Next Generation. And we did not really touch on Deanna Troy because for whatever reason, Mike and I just didn't choose her as kind of like our main, like our favorite lead uh, female of The Next Generation, or, you know, she doesn't, go into the supporting category either. But we're making it up to Deanna in this episode because we are going to be talking about Deanna Troy slash Marina Sirtis for our entire segment. So yeah, let's talk about Deanna Troy. So what we decided to do is we watched a couple of episodes that feature Deanna and we will get into that. But you know, first, I think it would be nice for us to kind of just talk about Deanna Troy and, you know, what we think about the character at large. So, Nancy, you are our guest. So why don't you talk a little bit about Deanna Troy and what you think of her as a character? I think she is arguably, in, well, this is based on the limited number of uh, flashback episodes I was able to watch between uh, Thursday and today, um, one of the strongest characters, strongest female voices on the show, um, who is able to exhibit 
her full or, or, you know, explore the complexity uh, of what it is to be a Betazoid, half Betazoid, half human woman. Um, and the counselor on the Enterprise, later I think she becomes like a com- commissioned officer, right? So she you can you know, fill I, in the like factual confuse me and I probably need to go back to my to the memory alpha page when it comes to Deanna because she is she is a Starfleet officer but she, she, well, becomes, the, she doesn't have any lapels pins so she, like, doesn't pips, have, she doesn't well, have the, I don't know Mike do you know this because later on she does become like she, she becomes like a lieutenant commander she gets she she goes and, through and then a commander yeah she goes commander. through the command yeah she goes yeah. through the command training or a training program to yeah but I don't I mean she is she she went to Starfleet she, she went to Starfleet Academy it's not like she like she was just a counselor that's randomly on the flagship of Starfleet like right. she she's commissioned but well I, I was it's interesting that she sat in the bridge as a non-commissioned person when she, she was, was she was commissioned she was she was commissioned but yeah. she didn't have the lapel because the, they yeah. wanted to go over cleavage Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. They were just... and a lapel. Yeah. No. That you can't. Uh, you can't have both. You can have cleavage or your pips, <laughs> and they chose the cleavage part of this. Her bunny uh, suit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was. You know, obviously to bring some sex appeal. You know, her her first season outfits were drastically more drab and and maybe a little bit more uniformy than her season two ones were, but. Um, you know, one of the things that intrigued me about Deanna from the start was just her relationship. She had a pre-existing relationship with the first officer. And uh, so that was always and an interesting. Beta, uh, beta Z, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, did uh, they meet at the Academy? And, or am I conflating like the no- like novels with like- I think it might be, yeah. I think, I, I don't know. Uh, I think I think in Menage a Roy, they they talk about the last time they were when they, when right, he the left last her. Time, yeah, he left her um, Beta Z. No, I don't. Yeah. I don't know when, yeah. where they, where when they met. Um, I'm sure it's explored somewhere, and when you know that's neither here nor Maybe. there. But they had a they had a pre existing relationship, so that was always interesting. And and she talked into her head, his head, from the start. Mm-hmm. You know, so they. They did create that. Um, they let, I mean, honestly, it was nice to kind of see their, I hadn't seen Menage Troy in a long time. And it was nice wow. to see them, uh, you know, experience some of that romance. I mean, they kissed, they were holding hands, walking. I along. know. Well, that was also a little confusing because I was like, but they're like not together, but they're very intimate. Yeah. Because they were yeah. like walking through the flowery field and they were holding hands and then he reaches down and kisses her. I'm like, what is happening right now? Yeah. We're not together. Right. Yeah. I so mean, I was like, all right, you know, sure. But I thought, I thought it was nice. It was nice to see that because we hadn't really seen that in a while. Like, it's any rare. sort of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we don't even really get to see it even more so until, um, until the movies, right? Till yeah. insurrection and, um, and from there. So, and obviously into the future, you know, on the Titan and, um and so forth but yeah i i thought you know having an empath on, on you know i don't know what gene's original vision of having an empath on the on the bridge 
was or how that I guess we could go back and we should go back and look at kind of the next generation Bible that they created for the show um, and kind of what the purpose of this crew was. But uh, I thought that she, you know, we we needed a show with more women represented. And I think that that's what Jean created, you know, female security officer, female counselor, a um, female doctor, you know, so half the cast was female. And I think it definitely needed that, uh, that difference. I think that, again, Gene was pushing the boundaries back in 1986 when he wrote this show to, to move women forward to some extent. Do we want to kind of dig into the episodes that we did watch and talk about? So talk about how we've highlighted Deanna. Yeah. Some, some standout episodes for, for her. And, yeah. and, and Nancy, you brought a couple of these episodes to our, you said, uh, this is what I've watched. Can we talk about this one or that, you know, this one, but why don't we start at the earliest episode and we, we kind of skipped over season one and we all kind of generally agree that season one was, kind of a crapshoot when it came to two episodes but so we start we jump right in with uh talking about the child which was the season two opener captain obviously the pregnancy must be terminated for the safety of the ship and the crew war if you can't assume the intent was belligerent that is the safest assumption captain this is a life form not to allow it to develop naturally but deny us the opportunity to study it the fetus is aborted. Laboratory analysis is still possible. Doctor, is there any health risk to Counselor Troy if the fetus is aborted? Captain. Do whatever you feel is necessary to protect the ship and the crew. But know this. I'm going to have this baby. And it seems that the discussion is over. And, um, you know, Johnson, when you were watching it, you were like, look at all these, both Johnson and I love talking about like starships, you know, and then how they look on screen and whatnot. So there were some cool visuals um, and a very uh, orchestrative opening to the second season. I don't know if you picked up on that, Johnson, but um but then we get into seeing the differences between season one and season two. I think most notably uh, Riker got a beard. Uh, Wesley got a uniform. Uh, Worf switched to yellow uh, to gold and is now security chief. We have Jordy, who's chief engineer, which they mentioned in this episode. So it's a lot of foundation, but then we get right into uh, as they're leaving orbit, this, entity enters the enterprise and and the introduction of dr Catherine pulaski oh yes yeah, yeah. there were actually yeah. a lot in this episode. there was a lot in this episode because we like a reboot <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a bit yeah. of a change yeah i mean like in addition to i mean there was some changes in the background like you know like in, in terms of production but uh yeah so we got Captain Pulaski, we got Guinan. This is also Guinan. Yeah. 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 So there were some. Dr. Pulaski is probably my favorite minor female character just because, like, she cannot be bothered. (laughs) She's just. She cannot be bothered. She's very, very different from Beverly Crusher when it comes to a supporting character or all main cast. I have a lot of respect for this lady. (laughs) 
But well, she, was, she was also in two episodes of the original series. She played two characters. Oh, I, I didn't know in, that. In the original series. Yeah. So I'm okay. um, sure so she's familiar to Star Trek, at least in that way. But uh, yeah, she definitely brings a different energy, different dynamic. I mean, we've we've lost two female leads and now we've gained a, a two kind of guest stars who actually impact things a lot more than some would say the two stars that they replaced. Yeah. Yeah, this was episode was interesting. Um, and Nancy, I remember that when you were, I mean, you had basically started to make an attempt to watch all of TNG, which, you know, which stopped. But again, so we're in season three, I think. But I do remember you kind of calling out The Child as an interesting episode and that it was, you know, it, it stood out to you. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your takeaways from this episode and what you thought was interesting? Sure. I wrote some notes. Um, we love I, notes. Yes. Oh, notes. I was, I was uh, watching through the episode and... Um, Literally, this is one of the reasons why I respect Dr. Pulaski, because um, how we're introduced to her is um, they're all on the bridge, right? And uh, Jean-Luc Picard goes, where's... You think where's this bitch? Like... Where where is she? Oh, and LaForge is like, with the tracker thing, he's like, she's in 10 forward. And somebody and Worf was like, oh, that's not a good start. And so um, Picard goes to 10 forward to look for her. And the first thing she says to him was, sit down, Captain, you better listen to this. Like they didn't even have a formal like handshake or anything like that. Uh, She didn't care. She's just like, I don't care who you are. You're the captain, whatever. Listen, I'm doing my job here. So that's when we learn, well, it goes from there and it cuts the, cuts into their what was it the interrogation room i don't know whatever oh it's a brief it was, it's like, it's hot interrogation it's a conference room it's like a conference room yeah it's like what they Whatever, have you can just correct you know what i call things it's fine so they go into the conference room and they're all sitting around and this is such a personal thing to share right but then uh dr pulaski is like well deanna's pregnant to the entire room and you have like all the men and uh, I think it was LaForge and Worf and Picard and Data mm-hmm. and then you had Dr. Pulaski and then Troy and then Dr. Crusher, I think, no. Dr. Crusher's not on the show. I don't know who else was in the room. No, she was But not. basically all of the men, it like pans the room and all of the men are like, oh, like, like, scandal like in Bridgerton or something like like something <laughs> scandalous has happened yeah exactly and the well, most scandalized is Riker because it almost looks like yeah, he was like WTF like, he's like who's the father <laughs> did we do a mistake like, <laughs> like um he does ask like he was the most incredulous yeah. I don't mean to sound indelicate but who is the father like he almost like half screams it um, but it's so interesting, the scene, because mm-hmm. if you actually watch that scene, there's all this chatter in the room, but it cuts to the fetus 
And I think it's because the fetus is, Dr. Pulaski uh, describes the fetus as being half human and half betazoid, just like Deanna. Mm-hmm. So Deanna and the fetus have already had, have this like betazoid bond. And it cuts to the fetus listening to the chatter in the room. And you, the viewer, or at least I got the sense that you know, they are bonded in a way where this chatter around them, at one point, Worf is like, we need to have an abortion. Like this needs to be aborted immediately. Mm -hmm. And- Yeah, it was like very clinical. They were talking about it very clinically because was it, I think it was data that was like, oh, like this warrants further study and we can't do that if it's aborted, like the process is aborted. And then Worf was like, well, if you abort it, the fetus can still be examined. I was like, what the hell? Like, you know, it was very, it was a very odd conversation. It was very clinical in a sense. And I thought it was interesting in that they were purposely having the men talk about it this way. Yeah, it was really harsh. Yeah, uh, really harsh. Well, that's how it's done in the U.S. Senate. So. Yeah, like, I think there were, I think there was a little bit, you know, there were, there was a little messaging there. This is like 30 years out from, you know, then. But it's those kinds of conversations are still happening like that. But anyways, um, not to get off topic down the rabbit hole of abortion and women's rights and and all that. But I I thought this was a very nuanced way of just like specifically uh, exploring Deanna through the lens of this hostile takeover (laughs) of her body through this alien. Um, And, you know, I think she does bond with this fetus because she is extra human. She is betazoid. And I think just seeing her um, through that lens, like, I don't think it can be extrapolated into, that's why it's not a rabbit hole because we, we can't talk about abortion rights as a whole because it's very specific to this alien, like half alien. Right, right, right. It's a, it's a very unusual situation. By right. uh, this other alien being who impregnates her or, or yeah, who, yeah. So- um, I, I do think it was a very cool moment for Deanna though, because at the end she interrupts them, right? And yeah. she's like, Captain Picard, you can do whatever you want to protect the ship, but I'm having this baby. Yes. And I thought that was a great moment. Like, cause she was just like having none of it. And then Picard was like, I guess the discussion's over, <laughs> you know? Yeah, Nothing she put great. the men right in their place at that point. And I think that that's, that was, you know, I wish we could show just that scene to, to like you said, the US Senate today or, you know, any, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that these things that Star Trek talks about for the last 55 years are still in play today. And Johnson and I talked about it with, with uh, Far Beyond the Stars, uh, certainly with Women in Motion with Michelle Nichols. Uh, there's just so many things that are still in play today when it comes to women's rights and that this episode is really appropriate for. Right. Um, but then the next scene, it cuts to her being pregnant and waddling around on the bridge. And I don't know how many other pregno, prego people have uh, graced the bridge. 
but there she is, you know, she's just out there. And I think just in general in the eighties, that was just something that's not seen on television, right? Like the whole, how people are born is just somehow like taboo. Like you're not supposed to talk because if you talk about that, then you have to talk about where do the babies come from? (laughs) You know, like, God forbid you have to talk about sex. Um, But kudos to her for going to work. I mean, I think that that's also a statement of she's still doing her job. She's still going to the bridge to do her job. And I think that that's a huge statement for women in general. Yeah. And I think it was great for representation's sake, you know, to see Mm -hmm. it on the television and to just acknowledge that pregnancy is a state of being <laughs> and uh, you know, normalizing, normalize pregnancy, right, normalize, right. you know, these things. So anyways, um, and I think I'm not sure I might be conflating all around, but there are very many times where like, you know, Deanna's just able to ugly cry on screen. She's not one of these dainty criers where you see this like lone tear dribble down her cheek. She is like actively crying. And I think that like, I don't know if she gets a pass because she's half betazoid to just be her full, you know, like there's this idea or this thinking of women that women are overly emotional Therefore, they cannot be completely rational beings because the emotions take over, um, et cetera. But I think, you know, this speaks to Deanna as a character um, that I respect a lot is because she's able to uh, fully, I think, portray or fully be, fully show her EQ and her IQ. Mm -hmm. They're never, you know, in, in doubt. You know, be, just because she ugly cries, her opinion can be discounted. Or just because she has this outburst, you know, her her um, her opinion can be overlooked. It's it's she like can she can still be a professional. Like it's not both. like yeah. And it's, you don't really see that in any of the other female characters. They don't. They can't like explode one minute. You know, they don't. They don't have these emotional. Um, outpourings in addition to their professional work you know dr crusher for example i think she's a very i don't know if stoic is the right word but she's she has her moments yeah she yeah she has it's not central to her character though right because mm-hmm. like diana you can expect like i want chocolate i want to cry i'm gonna you know counsel you and you know be really great and professional you know here but she has these different facets that she gets to show I think that comes with the territory of her being a counselor and kind of a new role that we've never seen in Star Trek before is that idea that, you know, it's, it's not, you know, she is not wearing a uniform per se, like a star, you know, a typical standard uniform, but she is respected on the bridge. I mean, the cat, she has the captain's ear. She does, you know, is asked for opinions and she's also an empath. So that's sort of, you know, I, I wonder if that's the excuse that you kind of that is given mm. for why she has these she's able to have these emotional um, roller coaster type 
situations happen and, yeah. and, and not have it be a problem because of the difference in role, the difference in, you know, her being, she's not all human. So it's kind of, she's, you know, half alien and the alien half is the empath side. So I'm wondering if that's why it was so accepted. Yeah. She's like just more in touch with her feelings because like you're saying, like, like it's, it's part of her job to kind of be able to kind of tap into that a little bit, but yeah. Is there anything else that we want to talk about when it comes to the child? I do like some of the, um, Mike, you touched on this, but I do think that there are some cool shots in, in this episode. Like um, one, actually that, that shot with Wesley in 10 forward was really cool where you see the outside. was excellent. Yeah. yeah and yeah. You, you pan down to, um, you know, deck 10 and you see, see him standing in the window, but then when you go to the interior and it's talking to Guinan and the ship's pan, pans away from the planet and then it goes to warp. We rarely get that kind of shot actually from the interior of the ship when this is like now the, the nerd part of the conversation. Yeah, is, for but sure. um, you know, we rarely sit. I'll bring up one final thing about Deanna in this. Episode. Oh, okay. Give me a second. But then when we go to warp from the interior of the ship, we rarely see that on TNA. Yeah. So that was and, a really cool shot. And I had to think through that because I was paying attention. I saw that. I and I was like, ooh, that's I don't, you know, we haven't seen that in a while. And then you actually, it's actually they're they're turning towards the sun because the sun comes yes. into this shot. Yeah, and then they the keep on turning. Yeah. And I was like, well, they can't go to warp until they're out of the. They're not going to warp around the sun. But right. so it's almost like you, you, they really thought through that shot. Yeah, it's a very cool shot. And the I sun came, and then you had more dark. And then it wasn't until a few few minutes later where they went to warp. So it was really well thought out, like how the ship, someone did their science homework and figured I know. out and here's where the to, planet is yeah. and like took the, took the ship and like turned it just so, and like really thought that out really yeah, well. Yeah, that was and great. A, yeah, that was great. And then even later, and this is minor, but when Deanna is putting Ian to bed and then she like retracts the shade, I was like, oh, that's rare. We don't really see the shade come down a window. Yeah, yeah. Like I was like, oh, that's cool. Like just like these small details. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's something extra um, that kind of made this episode kind of stand out a little bit more for me. Yeah. Sorry. Sure. And Nancy, Nancy, <laughs> what, is, what are your final... went off on a tangent? What but, are your, yeah. some of your final of those elements? But what I did notice <laughs> during the birthing scene, mm-hmm. she doesn't go full orgasm but she is in a state of ecstasy. <laughs> like, well, I, she did mention that, you know, it seems like this birth was very different. Right. She, she, is, she felt no pain whatsoever. Right. But then you have Riker looking over her shoulder and was, I got a hint of sexuality, like in that moment, like like oh. a little bit of a arousal, if you oh. will. I didn't say that at all. I mean, we go from she's pregnant on the bridge to she's having like maybe an orgasm. Like if if the camera stayed on her a little bit longer, maybe would we would have gotten there. Interesting. And it just I don't know. These are all very like newish things to be able to like see. I thought it was more awkward because Worf and his security guards came in and they were just standing there and I was like this is really awkward and Will was yes Will was like Will was creeping in the corner I was like there's a lot of people here right now. Midwife. It's like all kind that's true there's like all these men around her in these weird roles. 
Oh yeah, data. Oh yeah, that was sweet. And that he was, was asking, cute about he was peppering her with questions. Remember, right? Yeah. When she was about to give birth. He was just like, "What can you describe exactly how you're feeling?" Yeah, he had all the questions. Why? Yeah. <laughs> so cool. That was um, our overview of the child, and we had some interesting takeaways there. So why don't we move on to the next episode that we had watched, Minaj a Troy, which was a season three episode. I get a great deal of satisfaction out of my work. Oh, well, I'm sure you do. I'm sure it's very rewarding in its way, but <sighs> what about a family? This is my family. My friends here on the Enterprise. All right, in case I have to spell it out for you, I am talking about finding a husband, having a child. That's what made me happy, at least until now. Mother, look. Perhaps someday I will marry. But you have to let me make my own choices, live my own life, and not the life that you would choose for me. You had your chance with Commander Riker. Look how you ruined that. I did not ruin anything. We've become very good friends. Well, all the better. You certainly wouldn't want to marry an enemy. I see we can't talk about this. Very well. Have it your own way, little one. Little one? You called me that when I was five. Now stop demeaning me and address me as an adult. I'll be home on Beta Z if you need me, little... Deanna. So, for those of you that may not remember this episode, this was a Loxana episode. So, Major, uh, Major Bad Roddenberry made an appearance here um, as Deanna's mother. So, Nancy was interested in your takeaways about this episode and what you thought about it. Well, it was very interesting and also very uh, personal to me, one of the plot lines of it, because basically you have a mother uh, coming in and telling her daughter what she ought to do with her life, which is to find a husband and settle down and have pop out some babies. And she is responding back. This ship is my family. You know, the crew is my family. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't need that life, the life that you're trying to impose on me to mm-hmm. feel content or to feel complete or to feel whole. And I really appreciated that, um, that exchange between them. I mean, that's obviously not the point of the episode, but that was something that was brought up. Right Um, from the beginning too. That's at the beginning of the episode. mm -hmm. And why is that? Why does it strike a personal core to you? Oh, well, and also, well, this is unrelated, but I was thinking a little bit about being half. She's essentially a hybrid being, right? She's mm-hmm. half betazoid and half human. And, you know, I'm, as previously mentioned, Chinese American. I'm fully Chinese, but I grew up here in America to Chinese parents. So I grew up in essentially two cultures. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about it in terms of that, you know, that, that hybrid reality, that idea of having one foot in different cultures. Right, right. And I think for her, um, 
what was interesting about why I thought about that was even in the beginning when they were in, I think, 10 forward and Luxana is, um, is it Luxana or Luxana? Luxana. 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 L-W-A-N. It's kind of hard to say, but anyways. Luxana, yeah. They wanted to make it sound more alien, so. Yeah. So she's like trying to telepathy with her daughter, right? Like she's talking to her telepathically. Uh And Deanna was like, when we're around humanoids, it's not polite to have these internal conversations. And the mom was just kind of like, oh, whatever, these humanoids. And that just, to me, I don't know, triggered something in me where it's like, um, definitely growing up in these two cultures, as I mentioned, I definitely got messaging from my mom you know, about like the Chinese way of doing things was somehow better. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me and it triggered that in, in me, which was, it's, it's a minor thing, but it, it's like so interesting how I watched that and, and what it elicited in me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were some things I wanted to pull out in the, in the very beginning that didn't have anything to do with like the major plot line of the action. No, no, I think, you know, I think a major thing about this episode is kind of diving a little bit deeper into their mother-daughter relationship. You know, I think that those are totally valid points because, you know, as you're saying, like there are elements of their relationship that um, really resonate with you in that regard. And for me, like what, um, you know, what totally resonated with me was later when Deanna goes to her mother's quarters to kind of apologize and be like, sorry, I kind of blew up at you earlier, right? It's not like two minutes later, she's like storming out. Like, because like, because Loxana is kind of going back to, like there's the triggers, right? Like Deanna has when Loxana- She's calling her little one. Little one was the trigger, yeah. And for me and my mom, you know, I'm obviously my mom and I, you know, it's not like a mother-daughter relationship, but I am her only child. Like she always refers to me. I, I think it's also the Chinese of it all because, you know, for our listeners that don't know, I'm also Chinese. Um, you know, she refers to me as like a child. Like, but I think sometimes the terminology is, you know, that doesn't mean like you're like, you're not an adult. It's just like, but sometimes the way that she says it makes me feel like juvenile. And that scene totally resonated with me because. My, you know, sometimes my mom totally makes it sound like I can't make decisions or, you know, I can't figure things out. And I'm like, uh, I've been like living by myself for like 20 years. I think I know how to like do basic things, you know? Um, so that scene totally resonated with me in just how, because sometimes the conversation with my mom will be like, totally fine. It's cordial. It's going okay. And then she'll say one thing and I go off the handle. Um, and I think that this is totally what happens. Deanna goes in with great intentions. She wants to, um, you know, settle things, make sure, reconcile, leave things on a good note. And seconds later, it's all over. But yeah, Mike, I don't know. Did you, ha- did you have any, did you have any uh, notes from this episode in terms of standouts to you? I mean, I think... You know, I love the dynamic between Picard and Loxana. 
I think that uh, him avoiding her at the very beginning was also very, very funny. And I'm trying to remember, I mean, I guess this is not her first, this is not the first time she was on the show. And then I, it's been a while since I've watched like complete seasons of, of next generation. So I'm sure, sure. uh, I'm pretty sure there are at least one or two other episodes where she's been on the show already. Um, But yeah, no, there was like, I think Haven. I think it was season two episode. Yeah. It's just, it's just funny how he navigates so far away from her. Like he he like Mm -hmm. says, Oh, I'm going to go show you know, Data and I are going to go show the minister. <laughs> like something, the, something. I don't the remember. turbo lifts. Yeah. You know, and like, uh, totally avoided her. And, and uh, I thought that was just, that really resonated for me. Like, that's something that we can all kind of, you know, either getting away from someone's mom or just getting away from an annoying person. I think that that's um, very, uh, very true, true to real life. So that, that really resonated for me. I, you know, I, I, as I said earlier, I really loved, like, really like to see Riker and Troy kind of rekindle that romance that we've mm. always been hinted at. You know, even in the child, his reaction right. is is of someone like a spurned lover. Like, I thought I was the only one who, yeah. you know. So um, I think that, you know, there's that. Uh, the Ferengi. I don't know. Do you did you recognize this is this is definitely not off. Uh, this is slightly off topic. I'm pretty sure Ethan Phillips is one of the Ferengi. What? Was yeah. he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was the oh. uh, Doctor Ferengi on that that episode. What? So, Are you sure? We can look it up. Uh, yeah, we'll oh, I look know. it up. But I am I am I am almost uh, oh. sure sure that it was him. So that was cool to see. I, I, I thought seeing the three-dimensional chess being played was a cool callback to the original series as well. So we, we got a lot of a uh, lot of great scenes. Uh, I thought that the, how, and I don't know that I noticed this before, like when they beamed uh, Deanna and Loxana from the brig to his to the captain's room and they were suddenly like naked. naked. Uh, I thought that the, the visual was females do not deserve the honor of clothing. clothing yeah. Yeah. Very triggered. Very triggered. Wow. That is the, the Ferengi culture. Like yeah. um, women don't wear clothes. Yeah. Their women don't wear clothes. And then, yeah. So no. that, but visually the beaming oh. and the clothes dropping, I thought was great. That was a cool, so, yeah. Cool visual. Yeah. Nancy, sorry, were you going to try? Go ahead, Nancy. You said it. it wasn't even just that like, oh, like culturally speaking, their women don't wear clothes. It's the line was, they do not deserve the honor of clothing. It wasn't even just like, oh, they're just used to, you know, being in the buff or whatever. It's apparently an honor to have clothing, which females do not have the honor of. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they don't really explore the Ferengi that well in the next generation. We get bits and pieces here, but they're explored much more extensively in D Space Nine, which I totally recommend that you watch one day. But yeah, uh, they did a great job of actually fleshing out Frankie culture because Quark was um, like one of the main characters in his ring. Oh, the guy who, te- the bartender? Yes, yeah. good job. Yeah, yeah, very good. He, like, he handled the gambling. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, it was an uh, establishment. Drips and drabs. Drips and drabs. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Well, the Ferengi were originally thought to be the big enemy that were. I don't know the, what they were thinking. Yeah. They, they didn't really think that one out. They, you know, they, 
they didn't uh that's how it started at least in yes. season one they were the enemy mm-hmm. and and also their ships were significantly you know they matched the enterprise for yeah, sure if not, yeah so you know i think that it's it's interesting to see the development of the Ferengi yeah. throughout Next Generation, which does lead to to Quark and to even deeper dives into uh, Ferengi culture in Deep Space Nine. Yeah, so trivia note. So yes, they, they tried to introduce Ferengi as a major antagonist for the show. They were not very well received. So then they came up with the Borg. <laughs> like, so that was basically the solve. And obviously, that was, I think, a much more successful antagonist for the series. Um, but in terms of for this pairing, though, is that um, trivia fact is that Betazoids can't read Ferengi minds. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because of the way their data was trying to nerd out on and explain. Because yeah. he, he was like, he alluded to the fact of like how their brains are uh, like they're like four hemispheres yeah, yeah. kind of like a cow's stomach oh interesting i mean it's four four something <laughs> um but i was trying to say that on d space nine we get much more into the culture of the frankie and basically women don't they they can't do anything like they don't wear clothes they can't have property they can't have jobs um, they're all, you know, so all it's like so interesting. We're, they're at a high technological level, but societally and culturally, how we would, you know, as humanoids would describe them is that they're pretty backward. Right. I mean, they're, they're very, they're much, they're driven by capitalism. And I think actually in D Space Nine, it was explored that, you know, because I think the question was like, yeah, they're so advanced technologically. How does this make sense? I think the I think there was a conversation about that, and they based they they bought their technology. It wasn't like oh, oh I have a QAnon conspiracy. What? <laughs> what? Like literally Q, anon conspiracy. I don't get it. Like Q just goes around because he's there to sow chaos. It's like oh, you know, let's make this this like backward kind of like alien tribe. Let's give them warp, let's make them warp capable and throw them into the universe. And, and see what see, happens. And let's watch what happens. Cause it's like how on earth, cause also how they're portrayed in this episode, unfortunately, they're not very intellectually like deft, right? Like right. they can't win at the chess, like, at the chess. The Damon Tog, who's the leader of the ship, is like, you know, not very right. with it. And like the doctor is about to, str- basically they're going to have a coup d'etat from the doctor who wants to keep the females alive to study. Right, right. I, I think that this actually speaks, unfortunately, to the Frankie as a species, where they eventually become kind of the, uh, the joke. Like, you know, they, they, they're kind of portrayed as like these you know, they, they have their moments, but they're also kind of like simpletons. Yeah. Uh, you know, because most of the Frankie episodes on D69, they're, they're done for comedy versus they're very serious. Hence so. my QAnon theory. All right. <laughs> now I'm just kind of conflating different things. And yeah. yeah. Although that did bring to mind when you said buying, they, so they bought their technology versus uh, what's the the pack leads who steal their technology. 
Oh, and end up being yes. uh, being a huge threat in lower decks, you know. Yes. So another Nancy's another we're talking about, but it's no, okay. yeah, uh, another very simpleton race that acquires through power and through um, yeah. stealing. So Ferengi does it through commerce, you know. But right. uh, yes, uh, anyway. So, um. So yeah, what did anything else stand out for us when it comes to this episode? I mean, there were weren't there a lot of, and maybe Nancy picked up on this. There were a lot of you know telepathic conversations between Loxana and Deanna that were you know where they were not fighting, right? They weren't they weren't at odds. They were they were working together. So I'm just gonna put it out there, like when Deanna has. Uh, sorry, when Luxana has sex with Damon Tog, like, and the fact that Deanna can feel it, <laughs> I would not. Why do they really have sex? He he just she just gives him umaks. <laughs> yeah. I I think that the camera cuts away. I don't think they. I don't think they. I think you need to rewatch that because okay, well, the look on Deanna's face. No, there is. Yeah, I mean, but but I think it was just general disgust. I don't disgust that it takes to like rub someone's ear down. There's definitely some other kind of rubbing happening. (laughs) I I don't think they have that kind of sexual encounter, but I mean, that's how I read it. So okay, Okay. (laughs) I mean, off you know, off screen is what you make of it, right? So and. You're right, though. Deanna did have a strong reaction at some point after, right after that. That, um, so I mean, yeah, I think I think anything could have been happening there. You're right, Nancy. I think yeah, it, it goes off screen, so yeah, it's hard to say definitively yeah. what happens or what doesn't happen. And can I say I'm allowed to because I'm a woman? But Loxana's cleavage is phenomenal. Like she's a she's a very fit woman of her age. Yes. Yeah. No, she she uh she isn't afraid to show it off either. Five stars would recommend. <laughs> um. Cool. So we had a chance to talk through both the child and Menage Troy. Deanna is such a strong character, and I think she's an example of, you know, how Marina stuck it out. I'm sure it wasn't easy losing two female co co-stars yeah kind of being on her own i mean it would be interesting you know someday if uh if we ever get marina service on the show and he interview her sure yeah let's let's talk to her about what it was like uh at the end of season one and when she was the only female left standing and what you know what that summer was like that break from from taping yeah you know and and how she did she maintain the relationships with with Gates and and Denise, or love chocolate. You know, maybe she loves chocolate. Maybe. I wonder if she likes chocolate uh, in her life. She probably hates it or something. But she's she's. It's interesting because she is so much more outspoken now than I think she like Marina was. Sirtis, right? Yes, Marina. Oh my god, I see so... like a lot of her tweets because um, yeah, you know, I takes on I follow people. her. She's yeah. very political. Yeah, she is. Yeah. Uh, she's not shy. It's she is not shy, which I yeah, think is and she's great. like shady uh, too. Like she's like sometimes people will like respond to her on Twitter, and she is just like she doesn't back down. It's really yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, kudos to Marina for that. But yeah, she. I think that it must have been tough to kind of go through those seven seasons and really 
stick it out and be the one who was there the whole time. So she, she was there the whole, you know, whole run of next generation. And, um, you know, she got a few episodes here and there, but even seven years into this, you know, you're still getting only one or two seasons, one or two shows that focus on you out of 26 episodes. I know. I know. think that was a struggle because we were, you know, when we were talking to Nancy about what episode should we watch about Deanna? And we were like, mm, what episodes are there? Because there aren't, I mean, there are some there good ones. Yeah. But it's like probably on average one maybe to a season yeah and i think that honestly you know as for, as much as we um do commend the next generation and structure in general for kind of pushing the female agenda forward i think that i, I you know I, I think the women of the next generation kind of got shafted like you know there were just and nancy you referred to this earlier like you know like they're just not they're not really given like really rich complex stories you know i do think deanna is, isn't enough there is you know like data like data had so much to work with right yeah. like he his quest to find humanity right and what it meant to be human and that's really rich storytelling for them to tap into but then that means that you know marina certis and case mcfadden um are left with these 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 um side stories like they're basically a leftovers um and they do their best with it i would also say they invested a lot into little ensign wesley they did yeah i mentioned that on the last episode yeah these yeah wesley crusher got more screen time than his mom yeah you know yeah so yeah, no, I do think that overall, I think our takeaway with Deanna Troy is that, you know, both her and also Mariana Soros, who played her, um, you know, in a lot of these episodes, has a lot thrown at her. She spontaneously becomes pregnant. Um, she is kidnapped by the Ferengi, the Ferengi and kind of thrown into the situation um, and kind of needs to kind of deal with these situations. And I think in all of them, she kind of, is able to grow and evolve and kind of show um, how adaptable she is um, as a person. So I think kudos to uh, both Marina and to Deanna as a character. Absolutely, yeah, I agree with that. Cool, so um, we have only a few minutes left, so why don't we drop by as we're talking about it, Deanna Troy's office and do a little bit of dishing of Deanna. Come in. Hi. You got a minute? Sure. Um, so yeah, so Nancy, this is the first time that you're with us on this podcast. So basically- Hopefully not the last. Maybe not the last. We'll see you back for our 50 episode, maybe. <laughs> um, so this is the segment where we talk just a little bit about what's going on in our personal lives and you know how things are going. Um, and Nancy, you are- our guest. So why don't you start? What would you like to share with Deanna? Who's Deanna in this scenario? Are you Deanna? This is <laughs> really just sharing with the universe. It's not really, yeah. I'm not actually your counselor. Yeah, this is where we, we share what's going on with our, li- with our lives, with our, our listeners, not viewers. Listeners, no one's viewing this. No one's watching this. Uh, no one is watching this. So yeah, this is your chance to kind of tell us what's going on in your life. Uh, you know, you're out there in LA, New York City girl in LA. 
La La Land. Tell us what's going on out there. Yeah, I mean, we're three hours behind. So there's that. And I always constantly have to do simple maths to figure out when <laughs> things are happening <laughs> with my East Coast buddies. Um, but fun personal facts, my birthday is tomorrow. Yes. Uh, March 8th, which is always International Women's Day. Hooray. So, yeah. I'm happy to be able to say when people wish me a happy birthday, I can wish them back a happy International Women's Day. Yes. Um was there something else? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it was whatever you want to share. Well, all right. So let's ask you some, since you need some help, we'll be the counselor <laughs> yeah, and like help. ask some leading questions here. Counselor so you used to lead, lead, ask some leading questions. Oh, wait, so. I have another thing to uh, volunteer. So in the spirit of, I just saw Nomadland, which was very beautifully done. I didn't want um, I don't recommend it for people who really like strong plot lines um, because this is a little bit nomadic <laughs> and meandery. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's beautifully shot and there are some beautiful vistas in it. Um, Asian director, really right? Is that the, what's that the big thing? Asian director? Yes. yes. Chloe Zhao. She's mm -hmm. Chinese, not Chinese American. And she just won the Golden Globe. Globe for mm -hmm. directing. Very good. Yeah. Um, how that ties into my life is that I'm currently a nomad out here in LA. Um, I've been staying at the invitation of a friend um, out here, and he. And it's been how long? Eight months. Eight months. It will be seven months soon. Seven months. Okay. In the midst of this pandemic, because everybody's at home all the time, he decides to completely renovate his home. So we have been on a nomadic journey, living in all different parts of LA uh, whilst the work is happening in his house. So here are the places we've lived so far. We have lived in uh, the Pico Robertson area, which is a part of LA, it is what it is. Uh, we've lived in Pasadena, which is kind of like little Asia, which was mm -hmm. amazing for food. food exploration it was it was a wonderful two weeks but it was also very fattening or sorry one week we were there for one week we are here in beverly hills and tomorrow we are going to move to studio city so it's wow. been fun hopscotching all around and getting a feel for different neighborhoods and is the end in sight for this nomadic or is are, how are renovations proceeding? Like, are you going to go back to your friend's house? Well, um, that's for, we shall see. I mean, if anybody has gotten anything renovated, they tell you. Like what's the, what's the new ETA? Like, is there like a, not even like an you estimate? Say that it's, you can move into one part of the house right now, but okay. we've been and it's just like, do you want to breathe in dust? <laughs> like, yeah, okay, like, every yeah. second. like it's, it's yeah. not, yeah. Not, it's not optimal. I yeah. mean, first world complaining. Yes, here. first world sure. problem. Very, very first world, very privileged, very 
you know, I, I feel nothing but gratitude. And also I've learned that I don't mind this nomadic life. Like mm-hmm. being a nomad is kind of fun. It's kind of an adventure. I've kind of pared down, like I wear the same three outfits. Uh, we're living out of a carry-on suitcase and, you know, three other things. And like paring down on my toiletries because I don't want to keep on dragging around all these bottles and um, <laughs> uh, tubes and etc. So, the simpler life. All right. Yeah. Sounds very cool. Well, what about you, Mike? What's going on? Tomorrow's also a special day for you, right? Actually, so while we were talking earlier, I was checking because I, I couldn't remember. It's actually, today is actually. Oh, look at you. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Actually so, actually, actually, it's yesterday, technically. So, okay. 10 years ago, yesterday, I took the train down from Providence, Rhode Island and moved here to New York City. And uh, so today would have been my first day on the job where I worked oh. um, for many years. And then was that Apple? Uh, that was, was Apple. Apple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I worked for Apple down here for many years. And um, so, yeah, today was would have been my 10 years ago was my first day at, uh, at my new store down here. So, oh, cool. Um, so, yeah, so it's actually, yeah, it passed. I, I don't know why the eighth had stood out to me. I thought eighth, the eighth was the Monday, but it wasn't. So, so yeah. how does this anniversary make you feel? Tell us everything. I, I mean, I, you Tell know, I, was, I haven't actually, I was going because I thought it was in the future. So I thought I still had time to process it and like put my thoughts together. And now that it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, coming to New York certainly has changed my life. Uh, you know, it's been a, uh, the song, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, I think is very true. And in fact, over the years, a number of people have told me that specifically who, who have grown up in New York, mm-hmm. um, that if you can come to New York and stick it out and be on your own and do this, like you can do it anywhere. And uh, so, yeah, it's definitely definitely been not the smoothest trip all the time uh and it's funny because our 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 mind kind of leads towards all those towards all those things that went wrong along the way but in all honesty like uh, at this point 10 years on i am super happy i am super fulfilled and uh yeah i'm just uh, happy to be here i met dennis here you know we are uh, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, it's just a, yeah, it's, it's a great feeling to, you know, officially be called a New Yorker. Yeah. I think, so. um, you know, for those listeners that don't know, um, and I've mentioned in the past, but both Nancy and I are native New Yorkers. So I think, I think in some ways we kind of take it for granted as to how interesting New York living can be. It means very enriching, you know, and I think that there's a lot that the city offers. And um, yeah, I think we take for granted a little bit. And I think for transplants, as you know, such as yourself, I think that it's definitely a, an adjustment. And I think 10 years is probably, you know, you, you have a good sense as to what New York offers and what it entails. And I know that Nancy has also voiced that uh during her little stay in LA she has also missed New York but yeah I'm yeah like, there's no there's no place quite like it really uh it can't you can't imagine what it's like to live in a bubble 
like New York City and um, be around so many different cultures and so many, you know, like blocks away, like blocks away. Yeah. Yeah, Or a subway ride, you know, like Mm. uh, it's definitely, you know, I think the challenging part is that, you know, the family that I'm close to is four hours away and it's, a Mm -hmm. you know, obviously it's been a year. Well, it's, you know, been a year where I haven't gotten to see them a lot. So Mm. that's the hard part. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's no place like New York and uh, you know, if you can do it, I definitely recommend it. I mean, now there are historically low rent prices. So are, yeah. If you've ever thought about it and you can work remotely or if you're looking like now is a great time to come to New York and, uh, you know, start that adventure. But uh, yeah, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I've met uh, I've met some great people here, some of my best friends and some of, you know, obviously my my partner in crime. So um yeah it's uh it's been great so yeah it's kind of uh it's uh yeah it feels good to I guess I I you know I'm glad I didn't realize think that it was yesterday because that would have probably put a little more pressure on yesterday but um yeah it's uh it's good to be you know to have that milestone in in the books so yeah that's what's going on with me what about you what's what's new in Johnson land is there have any more fish killed, disappeared, Not or yet. been eaten by yes. your enemy? Not yet, my enemy. No, my fishing is actually doing okay right now. Um, it's like week to week there are new things. But right now, I will say the past three days, it's been pretty good. <laughs> um, it's been a quiet but, news cycle for the fish tank. Yeah, so no dead fish. Um, I do have a couple of fish arriving this week, actually, that I'm very excited for. Did the listeners know about the suicidal fish? <laughs> I think, I think I've so, mentioned, yeah. 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 I've mentioned how there have been fish that have left to their deaths. Yeah. Yes. Um, but right well, now, no, there haven't been any major deaths, um, I would say, in the past two weeks, which is... <laughs> several several have disappeared. Yeah, there have uh, your anemone is, uh, is a yeah, hungry one. My, yeah, well, you know, those are the dumb fish that kind of just don't have the right survival instincts, I would say. But yeah, the fishing is good. Work is good. Um, I'm starting to, this is my third month at my job. Bravo, um, bravo. Yeah, I'm starting to kind of find my groove, I think, um, and kind of figure out how things work. Um, I mentioned last week, I'm kind of just, you know, I'm, I've adapted to kind of the pace of it, but I'm also just knowing, like, I think the new thing, the, the thing about any new job is knowing the right people to kind of talk to about certain things and, oh, this person's a person to talk to if you want to get this done or this person is a person to talk to if you want to know something. Like, you know, so that's honestly been, been a big part of my first two months because this is definitely a bigger company than my previous agency. So I think that I'm starting to um, get a sense of that. I don't think there's anyone... Because like at my last job, I had like, like a work spouse, like someone who I just like really connected with and just got very attached. You know, you, we would chat about everything, kind of like problem solve things together and kind of like, you know, we were partners in crime. Um, I don't think there's that yet for me here. I think the remote thing is definitely, you know, that's definitely a big factor. Like, you know, because we, we only talk if, something needs to get that we can't like go out for a coffee you know 
like if we need to discuss an, a client issue or get on call, like, you know, that's when we chat. Um, there isn't, there aren't these like opportunities to have a very casual, just spontaneous conversation. And I think that is something that I'm still, that is still, you know, my last job I was at for seven years. So that was different. Like I, you know, I could, I, I was, I, I knew who was who I, I, I was, it, you know, you had these, by the time that the pandemic started, I had all these established relationships. So it was different. Um, now I think it's a matter of trying to figure out how to kind of develop those kind of relationships, but in the context of being all remote. So anyway, that's, that's me. That's how I'm doing. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's our uh, drive-by with Deanna this week. So cool. All right. Well, I, we should give a quick shout out to Fansets, our, one of our sponsors for the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. And since we talked about Deanna this week, I like to highlight what Fansets has for Deanna pins. And they have three, which are Goodness. really great. Three fanset pins. They do. And uh, so they have a micro crew pin of her. Uh, they have a woman of Trek uh, from series one, and it's got the glitter from series one. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> okay. Uh, they had glitter. They have glitter and non-glitter ones. Uh, okay. And I got a g- glitter one. Do and you then, own any of these, Mike? Do you own any of these Deanna pins? Or I do not just- own the Deanna pins. Remember, I have Nichelle Nichols and... Jadzia Dax. So I have Uhura and uh, Dax for my Women of Trek collection. And then uh, they also have a, you know, one of our favorite episodes from Picard was Nepenthe. Mm. So the uh, episode pins from Picard season one, episode seven includes Deanna on it. And so that is also available. So if you, and these are just the Deanna pins. If there are, there are a ton of other pins, hundreds of other pins that you can choose from. Yes, for all any, the pins. Yes, all the pins. Yes. Um, and if you use our promo code DS Pride, you'll get capitals. 10%. Yes. You're interrupting again. <laughs> I'm informing our listeners about information you are leaving out. DS Pride is the code that you need to put in all caps and you will get 10% off your order. Yeah, and if you spend $30, you're going to get free shipping. Yeah, it's free shipping. There we go. So check out Fansets at fansets.com. And I believe that if you still go to trekgeeks.com slash vote, you can vote for your favorite choice for a new Women of Trek pin. And also win both the series one and series two collections of those pins if you're so luckily chosen. So go there and vote on your favorite woman of track, and maybe they'll get chosen for to be part of series three's women of track pins from fansets. Yeah, that's fansets. There we go. Cool. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for being our guest guest our first guest yeah yes our first guest fun i feel so honored and i'm also honored to be clothed uh to be able to wear clothing (laughs) because are you usually kind of just in loungewear 
Right. Well, I'm not usually, you know, taken hostage by Ferengis, so I do have the. Oh, I okay. Uh, no, yeah. I, I, the reference was probably lost on me, but now I understand. Thank I you. got you, Nancy. I, I was like, that, what is reference? About? Right on. Knew what, right where she was going. That with was that. So, so, oh, so slow. Same John, wavelength. Yes, exactly. So it's been great having you here. We uh, we appreciate all of the help you gave us in launching Deep Space Pride and your friendship. And your friendship. And well, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't plug our mutual friend, Sarah, who helped spitball some ideas for names. And um, thank Deep you, Space Sarah. Is a, is a co collaboration, a collab with her. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. thank you to Sarah. Thank you to Nancy. It's been great having you here with us for our big 25th, probably. Pretty close to our longest episode ever. It's, yeah, it's it's been ongoing. It's yes. Long so, because well, that's what happens when you have like another person being chatty, Kathy, and you know, going on and on as we usually are. And and, and Johnson's been really well behaved when we've had a second. Oh my god, another person. Forty-five. Goodness, get out of here. Yeah. So, so that about does it for our twenty-fifth episode. So. Hopefully this was enjoyable. It was hopefully enjoy for our listeners to hear another voice kind of in our usual banter. And um, uh, don't we want to hear our listeners' voices? Okay, or... you know what? That's, that's exactly what I was trying to segue to. So I appreciate you interrupting me. Wow. So, Mike, do you want to tell our listeners how they can reach us? Sure. They can email us at deepspacepride at gmail.com. Or you can send us a message on Instagram or Twitter at Deep Space Pride. We'd love to hear from you. And also, we would love it if after 25 episodes, if you've been along for part of this journey or you're just new, maybe you know someone you could share this podcast with and help us grow our audience. So if you would kindly subscribe, share, and review our podcast, that would be awesome to help us yes. out. I just subscribed. Okay. Well, well, after 25 episodes, I would rate this five stars. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Well, just thank like you. Just like Lola Kusana's cleavage. <laughs> That's yeah, great. Lola's cleavage. Yes. Cool. So, well, thanks everybody. This has been a lot of fun. And Nancy, thanks again. This has been a great episode. And yes. uh, we will have to do this again in the future. Yeah, and we will be, for our listeners that are going to be uh, listening to us, we are going to be continuing our Women of Trek series for the remainder of March. So I believe our next episode will be covering some of our favorite characters from Deep Space Nine, which yes. I'm very excited to talk about. So yes, stay tuned. We love Deep, we love Deep Space yes, Nine on like, Deep Space yes, Pride. So yes, yes. yes. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, listeners. Thank you, everybody. Thanks again, Nancy. And we'll see you all next week. I had a blast. Bye. Bye. Deep 
Deep Space Pride is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Coconut!